0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right. Well, again, good uh, morning, everybody. We are glad you guys are here. Did I cut you guys off? Would you have one more? No, we're good. good. Okay. okay, just checking. in. <laughs> Um, hey, you can take out your Bibles. This is kind of our uh, where we camp out every Sunday. And so James chapter 2 is where we've been. And again, like Todd said, baptisms, we... We do those as they come up, as needed. Uh, we just put one on the schedule after the Salt Cumber retreat in anticipation. God will be doing things. And he is. Uh, some of those students are like, can I just have a moment to like, have my parents come and join me? Like, can I get some time? And so there are more baptisms. So if you enjoyed today, there are more baptisms coming up uh, later this month, and we're excited uh, about that. But today we're continuing our study in the book of James, chapter 2. And again, James's uh, the book of James was written perhaps before any of Paul's epistles were written, and it was written to the new church to really guide them in how they live. Because James understood it's not enough for us just to just say that we are Christians. It's not enough for us to just say that we believe, but this should look like something. There should be actions that follow our belief. And so James, the whole, uh, the whole book, and we're just getting started, But James's kind of goal is to get in people's business and challenge how they live. And for me, we just made it through chapter 1, which is just the introduction to the book. And I'm already like like tapping out. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I can continue to like be challenged in this way. And then I'm studying this text in chapter 2 where we're just getting to like the body of the letter. And I'm like, okay. This is going to be a long book for us, I believe, church, but I think it is so good. I'm so glad that we are studying this out because, again, our faith, there, it should be evident. Now, its we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, but genuine faith should never be alone. This should look like something, and so here's James. He's going to continue kind of this theme of of getting in our business and challenging how we live, and so James chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Okay, time out. That is the command. You can see it on the screen there. He's saying, show no partiality. That's what we're talking about today in these 13 verses, and he's going to unpack it, but, but show no partiality. To which he asks, well, James, what do you mean by that? Glad you asked. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Okay, let's time out. Let's unpack what we've seen so far. He's saying right away, don't show partiality. For example, this is what it would look like to show partiality. You have two different kinds of people, and they're coming into this assembly, this gathering, like church. And so he's writing this to the church people, and he's saying, now if you've got two people coming in, and there's clear distinctions between the the two, but here's the thing. One commentary, I think, rightly noted that the, the in this example, the people coming in are likely new. Because we all know that if you've been coming for more than a week or two, you already kinda know where to sit. Like, I don't know if you know this, but there is unofficial like assigned seating here at Anthem. And some of you are already laughing, because I know Dave and Don, you're over there. Andrew, you're in that back corner, am I right? Dallas and Becca, you guys are over there. Like, you have your assigned seat. And so last week, we had a retreat, and we had a 100 college students gone, and nobody filled in their assigned seat. Kayla I and mean, Jeremy, you guys, like, braved in here, and it's like, whoa, you know those aren't your seats. Nobody else has taken them, but let's just leave them vacant, okay? Like, we, we do this. Like, there's this assigned seat. In fact, in school, I just remember, like, a teacher, the second day of class, just passed the clipboard around, just like, go ahead and write your assigned seat, because if you're here, you know, two times in a row, likely you've already believed this is yours, that's just how we work. And so these guys are new to the church, this assembly, and they haven't figured out where their assigned seat is. And so what he's saying is, this is what it'd be like to show partiality in helping them find their seat. Verse three, who gets the good place? It's the one with the gold ring, the fine clothes. That man, representing probably the rich man, what it said to him is like, well, you, you, <laughs> you look like somebody You seem important. Here, have a good spot to sit. Okay? And so the other one is is the poor man, certainly poor in material senses. They are wearing shabby clothing. Okay? We don't use that descriptor a whole lot, but, but shabby clothing. So certainly materially poor, but perhaps poor in spirit as well. And so here, this imagery conjured up is that of like a homeless person coming in. And here's the reality is we don't know. They, they could have changed clothes in the lobby, for all we know. But nonetheless, a judgment is being made towards this one who looks poor. And what is said to them is, hey, stand over there. No, it's not sit. Stand over there. Or if you're going to sit, sit at my footstool. And perhaps in the, in the original language, it could be interpreted as be my footstool. Like clearly, there is is, is a level of, of, of partiality being shown based on appearance. They're being treated differently, shown favor based solely on their physical appearance. And here's the question is, is what determines a person's value? Now I got a little whiteboard here. We're gonna do a drawing session. What determines a person's value? Right, so... I just want to draw what I would say, like society, sorry, if you can 't see that it's going to fall off the back of the stage. Uh, what determines a person's value because clearly we live in a day and age where where some people value others as more important or more valuable, okay, and so society we have this view like if if you think of like a triangle, we have this view that that these people are the most valuable. These would be those that are rich and powerful, the celebrities, the athletes, those that are independent and they are appear to be strong, put together. Meanwhile, like at the bottom, like those of least value, these would be like people that are are needy, broken, like poor, and we would say these are the people like in, in power up here, and we have this like uh, power over mentality. Whereas we think, man, you know, I, I get it that the, like these people that perhaps not as valuable, and, and even in the Christian world, we think if we could just elect a, a godly Christian president to to preside over us, then things would be better. And so we have this kind of power over mentality. That's one thing. But, but nonetheless, we, we think, okay, you got some middle-class people in here, and they're certainly not here, but they're, they're not there. And so we begin to differentiate. And I guess a way to, to illustrate this is you would see, like, perhaps the most vulnerable, dependent, and needy would be the unborn children. Again, I'm trying to help you understand our society delineates value, and they would say to an unborn child who is very much a person— They would say that they are not as important as the mother's right to comfort. And so therefore, our society has deemed it okay and legal to kill an unborn baby. Does that make sense? Do you understand how that is just clearly a differentiation between this person is more valuable than this person to the point where we live in a culture that says, so therefore you can kill that person we clearly, in our society, value some above the others. And be it race, nationality, color, there's this value in And, and so how is that even determined? What does that even look like? And he says this, that, that when we, we do this, and here's the thing. So, so you have the devalue, and we talked about that, of the unborn or, or perhaps those that, that don't look like us or talk like us. Then we have this overvaluation of like these these people that we would deem to be in in power, our or celebrities, our or famous people, does that make sense? It's like in perhaps a little bit is in your heart where if some celebrity or some athlete comes in here, you'd be like, "Oh wow, this is a big deal." I remember, I, pardon the like the imagery here, but my dad, I was. Just being a fanboy over some athlete you know back in high school, and my dad wanted to help me understand like that that people are equal. This is how he did it, and I, I apologize in advance, but it was really helpful for me, like humbling my dad, and this is the censored version i 'll say that he said, "Stand, they use the bathroom and they sit on that porcelain throne and take care of business just like me and you, and like something about like this this person that I really idolized, like sitting." In the bathroom, I was like, oh, like that is just very human. Like that just, all of a sudden, like this godlike status to, to think of them like taking care of business in a bathroom. I'm like, they are kind of like me and you, aren't they? It's like, yeah. And that was my dad's way of just saying like, we think that these people are untouchable, or, but the reality is, is they're human, just like you and I. And so who's to say that this person is more valuable than that? And so certainly... It's a problem because, because God doesn't see it like that. And he said to the church, James is writing this, is like, in doing so, if you show partiality towards this person versus this person, he says in verse four, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? says it's evil to think like that. It's evil, it's wrong to treat people differently based on these outward appearances. You know, I think that it's so like in us because we buy into like this power over and if we could just kind of, you know, work our way up. And so don't tell me like, I felt like there was a time in college where I'm like, you know what, my roommate, his cousin is the guitarist in Taylor Swift's band. Like, I'm cool by association. You understand that? Like, I know a guy who knows a guy who pays, plays in Taylor Swift's band. Like, we want to see people up here, and like, we want to bring them in and, and get them close, and he's going to address this. Like, we want to befriend them, and it's like, oh, I know somebody. I, 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 I have these connections. Maybe you've never dropped those, right? You never hinted that you know a guy that knows a guy. But nonetheless, there's something in our hearts where we're like, well, they're they're up here. Society says they're up here, and you know what? I mean, I kind of know them, so why don't you go ahead and move me on up? I'm like right in here now. He says it's evil to begin to think like that and, again, differentiate, thinking that this is going to pull you up. He says, listen, in verse 5, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world— to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. i want to stop there mid-verse. This is about honor. It's not wrong when those guys come in and you notice the gold ring and the fine clothes of the one and the shabby clothes in the other. It's not wrong to take notice of that. What's wrong is then to differentiate and say, well, therefore, you're more valuable. Does that make sense? You can... Take note of those things, but when it comes to honor, we should not act partially or assign value based on that assessment. Okay, it's not saying you just got to be like blind to those things and and not recognize it. No, you can recognize it, but we shouldn't then assign value based on outward appearances. Does that make sense? And so God doesn't do that. That's where this is at. And so we're going to have to draw a new chart here to figure out kind of God's heart behind it. But if you look to the screen... What you'll see is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. What does he say there in verse 17? God is not partial. God does not show partiality based on those things. And so, here's how this better looks. And you've heard it said, like, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Well, well James is going to go on to kind of do one of these numbers. It's not a power over, but it, it, it's, a, it's a power under. And let me explain what I mean. See, <laughs> arguably, what we see here. And we're gonna see in Matthew 5, is, is, is that's on the screen, is the way up is actually down. Jesus said, if you want to be first, actually be last, servant of all. And so God flips this thing on its head and it starts with Jesus, and the and the wise men come and they're like, Oh, let's let's go see the king. You mean born in a stable, laid in a manger? Like, does that make sense? It's it's counterintuitive in in Philippians talks about this, that that Jesus being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead humbled himself, made himself nothing, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus Christ was first by being last, servant of all. And he would say it like this, and, and I believe James has this teaching in mind when he says, God has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith, Sounds something just like Jesus would have said in Matthew 5 where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you want to be supremely blessed, it's this power under it. It's flipped and it goes on in verse 11 to say, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The way up is down. Becoming a servant. And so this whole thing gets flipped. We don't need to, like Israel, think that we need the next great leader or king and elect them. We already have. It's Jesus. His kingdom. And so here's Jesus saying, if you want... If you want to be first, be last, as he demonstrated. And God is saying, I, and this all kind of comes back to, to, to James, where we're called to not be partial, not assign worth based on these worldly me- uh, metrics. God is impartial, and he calls us to do the same. In Leviticus, this is not new, in Leviticus uh, 19, where we see that we're called to love our neighbor, he says in verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court, you shall not be partial. Listen to what he says, though. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness uh, righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Here's the reality. This is worth noting, that showing partiality can go both ways, and that's noted here in Leviticus. Say, usually, understandably, it goes in the favor of, like, we're partial to those that are in power and those that we think that can Bring us up. But he's saying partiality and being partial to the the poor is just as wrong. We're talking to Todd Van Voorst, and, and he had this. He said, it is equally as bad to be partial to the poor, sick, ugly, or those that are simple, and to automatically give them the best seat over the rich and famous. I love this quote from Todd. Many today would gladly make the rich their footstool and feel rather justified in doing so. But they would be doing uh, that in direct defiance to Scripture in James's command here to show no partiality. Does that make sense? It's, it's wrong either way. And I understand that we're, we're typically in this ditch where, where these people get all the privileges. That doesn't mean just go jump in the other ditch. Show no partiality. Here's how I've practically seen that mistake made with the church leader in a foyer before service. And this church leader was talking to a middle-aged white guy. And someone who was more diverse entered into the church foyer. And this individual who they were talking to was mid-sentence. And that church leader bypassed them, cut off the conversation in order to go interact with a person of more diversity. Does that make sense? That is That's wrong, too. Like, that soul is no more valuable than this soul. And I get it that we get it wrong a lot, but the the problem is showing partiality, period. We're called to be impartial. Everyone. Here's the reality. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is an image bearer. No matter the clothes, the occupation, the nationality, everyone, God has knit them together. Everyone in their mother's womb, He is, they are fearfully, wonderfully made. God has designed them, and he values them, and he loves them enough to send his son Jesus to redeem them back. And so whatever, if you're taking notes, whatever metric you use to add value or devalue a life, it's wrong because they're valuable because God said so. And so none of this jockeying for position should not happen with church people The main point from verse 1 is we're not to be partial. Show no partiality. God doesn't do that. And I I think of of the sermon I got to preach out of James 1, that if we would just be quick to listen, slow to speak, perhaps we might learn something and be impartial. Now, here's the reality. If you know me, you know that this isn't just a given. This is a challenge for me. Uh, In fact, like this week, I was studying on Wednesday, and I had the opportunity uh, after I was studying, I needed to swing by the store on the way home and uh, and grab something. Um, and so this was Wednesday, and get done studying, close the books, drive over uh, to the store. And there, at the corner of the store, was this lady with what I believe to be her son holding one of those cardboard signs, asking for help. Anything helps. And so I just drove right by him. No, that's not the case, right? Like, I knew I was studying this, and so, I. but I'll confess, oftentimes, I do not know what to do, right? Like, I, in all transparency, I am so conflicted because I've had that time where, like, I am pretty sure I just gave you money to use poorly and perhaps do something really bad with. Right, I've done that, and I've, I've instantly regretted it, but I also know that, like, looking past somebody or like pulling up the sign and not even acknowledging their existence but like I think I got something on my phone I think it's illegal to be on my phone but I'll do that because it's better than feeling the weight of that just just your pastor is that it okay just me but here's the reality is, is 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 I'm there I'm studying this out and and I'm conflicted because the instant thought is what if that was somebody from Anthem holding that sign Y'all, I would be there. What do you need? Let's go. But the fact that I didn't know them, didn't know their story, I was quick to just tell myself a story, you know, what the situation is. I said, no, I'm going to do the thing in James 1. I want to listen. So I pull in, and there's a corner of the parking lot. I said, hey, and they come on up to the truck, and I, I didn't catch her name, but Alex is this five-year-old boy, and I said, what's the story? What do, you, what do you guys need? What's going on? And from what I can understand is that they were either that her sister had recently had a baby, and so they were going to help or visit. And I don't know if, if they lived in Columbia or where, but they said they were from out of state. They're driving through. They just were out of money. They needed food or, 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 or just money to kind of get there. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, what do I do? I'm going to do something, though. And so I noticed they had, like, a gas can. I'm like, can I, can I fill that up for you? And they said, yeah, sure. Hand me their gas can. And I'm like, okay. You, you, like, that's <laughs> good. I, I kind of needed a gas can. But no, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to go. That would be bad, right? But they just, like, <laughs> willingly, like, just hand it to me. And they're like, okay. And so I go across the street. $6.45 later, fill this thing up right it wasn't a very big gas can and I take it back you know and they run up and just oh thank you so much thank you and then hand them the gas can they walk over to the van with the out-of-state plates which again I for what it's worth I think match very much their story fill the gas can and if you remember Wednesday was cold and I think they were like from California or something like that and so they're like warming up I was like man like here's the thing is like I don't I don't, I don't know the reality of their situation. I don't know if that was just a story and, and maybe those plays lined up, maybe they didn't. But that shouldn't stop me or you, church, from treating them like the image bearers of God that they are, for treating them like people. Does that make sense? And I, and I think that I just become so incapacitated, like trying to detective solve it and figure it all out. And I, there is a way where helping can hurt. I get that. And I'm not saying don't use discretion, but at the same time, like, what should we do? What is our call? And I believe clearly here it's to to not show partiality, but to be impartial and to certainly love, as he's going to say in verse 8. And here's the thing. From there, I I was helping, I think it was on a Sunday, like helping a mom kind of load up their kids or just talking to them after church. And I noticed like this van full of kids and they had like the uh water bottles and like some snacks and things like together and i'm like oh is that like for when your kids get hungry and you're taking trips and all that stuff and this mom said no that's so when we come up to those stoplights and people are asking for things we can as a family show them the love of jesus and give them some food and some water i was like oh it's a great idea so after I filled up their gas can, I'm like, I'm getting me some granola bars. And so now, riding around the back of my truck, I still got to get the bottle of water. But now I'm like, I, I can at least meet a physical need of somebody instead of simply just looking past them or through them or not at them at all and not treating them like people. Because then I don't know what is in us that, that would, would cause us to look down. And I'm saying it is perhaps hardwired. Another example to over-illustrate this, but we were doing a missions training for a high school uh, trip. I was the high school pastor. My wife and I were married. We had Danica was like two years old at that time. They knew us. Some of those kids babysat our children, but yet, nonetheless, during the missions training, my wife and Danica played the role of a beggar. Again, all these kids can clearly recognize my wife and child, but I'm telling you, without fail, I think there was over 20 kids. They did not make eye contact with my little child who was clanking a cup saying money. A, a, a little child who they babysat. I was just saying there's something in us that just causes us to freeze and many of us and we just like, I don't know what to do. And I think what James is getting at is like, do something, something. <laughs> like, would you just try and love and we can, if you miss, we can sort that out. But to not treat them like people, to not love. Guys, I just want to be the first to lead out and say, ah, oh, I, want, I want to repent of that. I don't want to change and I want to see what God sees. And God's not caught up with the outward appearance. And so he's, he's going to go on in verses 6 and 7. He's saying, you have this propensity to run towards uh, those that are in power, and you want to. Sorry, get my illustration back out here. You, have, you want to go and you want to run. And what does he say here in verses uh, 6 and 7? He says, are not the rich the ones who are oppressing you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's saying you have this propensity to be partial towards those that are in power. How's that working out for you? <laughs> He's like, perhaps the reason they're up here is because they stepped on your back on the way up. That's what he's saying. It, it, I think there's some truth, certainly in our town today. He's saying, how's that working out? The reason they're rich is perhaps because they're defrauding you. Have you thought of that? And he goes on in verse 8. He's like, if you really want to fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. That's what we're talking about. If, if we would, He goes on in verse 9. But if you show partiality. You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's he saying here? He says, to be clear in verse 9, this partiality, looking at people and sizing them up and showing favor based on their outward appearance, he's saying, make no mistake, it is sin. And then he goes on in that, that list, you know, it's like, one of these things doesn't sound like the other. You know, like murder, adultery, being partial. Like, but, but James is getting at the heart here that, that all sin is equal in terms of we deserve judgment. Now, we're having lots of illustrations today. Here's what that means. You're like, where is he going with this? Okay, what he's saying is all sin for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Now, is this thing still functional? Like, in the sense that if I'm saying, hey, you want a cup of hot coffee, like, just hold this over your lap, I'll get some scolding coffee, and we'll just fill this thing up. It's just one little hole. If you stumble at just one point, if you come across this cup out there, come on now, you're throwing it out, right? Because just one hole... You're guilty of breaking your own. What he's saying is, God, who is perfect, if you stand before him, would you be innocent or guilty? And I get it. I understand that, like, there's some, that like, oh, they they got a few more holes, but this is, it's in no better shape or worse shape than when it was with, like, the one hole, right? But we're quick, and, and you're like, well, you know, okay, that's maybe my cup. I got you. You're like, but there's some people, that's a spade bit, there's some people that are just way worse, right? You know, they, uh, they, they've actually done some really evil things and they've got some of those going, right? That's, I think, inch and a half. That's plenty big hole, right? And you're like, at least, and what we want to do is we're like, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not like them. Right, okay, fine. Which one do you want to hold over your lap? Both of them are going to get scolding coffee on you. Like, both of these are broken and guilty, Right? If you stood in maybe whichever cup you want to identify with, but again, what he 's saying here is, is, please don't contrast uh, uh, be contradictory to, to Romans 3:23 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God I don't know how much you've fallen short, but you have fallen short of the glory of God. First John would say, if anyone claims to be out, sin he 's a liar. okay We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How broken? you're broken. <laughs> and we're like, well, at least I'm not as broken as this one. Fine, drink coffee out of both these. Like, we're broken. And here's the reality. Like, Jesus is the only one. Perfect. In him there was no sin. There is no sin. Perfect. And the reality is that, that, that this one gets made whole like that. You can drink out of this thing now. This one gets made whole, like that. They both need Jesus. And what he's saying is, if you see this coming to church, they need Jesus. It should just be more evident. And don't think that the business guy that drives a nice car, it seems don't think he needs Jesus any less. Does that make sense? Show no partiality. You're like, well, I don't know where to begin with. That's where to begin. With Jesus. We can work some of the other stuff out, but, but show no partiality. We need Jesus. And here's the reality is, is I want us to be the kind of church. I was getting to interact with a couple uh, a few weeks ago. They work in, in prison ministry. And they said, hey, we work with, with former inmates that are recovering. Would we be able to bring those people to Anthem Church? And I understand that they might be coming in, not looking like this, with bigger holes. They said, would they be welcome there? I said, I sure hope so. (laughs) I sure hope that we can read God's word and obey. And I know that if we're going to do that as a church, it starts with me as a pastor in a Walmart parking lot. It starts with you guys in your workplace. Again, understanding that Jesus is what makes us whole. And so would we be the kind of church that can make a dent in, in loving the 3,000 refugees that live in this town. And I praise God for those that are gifted, that are just drawn, they just see brokenness and they're there. I'm like, I love that you love that. Help me. But I, show me in here where, where somehow the rest of us are exempt. No one? If we are going to be the church, church like James is writing to, he's saying your faith ought to look like something. You can't just say you're a Christian. This needs to be lived out. And what it is, is it's recognizing, church, that, that we who were broken had been made whole, and now there's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. And what he's saying there in the end of verse 13, now of you that have been forgiven like this, that have been shown mercy... But you turn and you show judgment instead of mercy. Oh, it's it's, for judgment is for those that are without mercy. The one who has shown no mercy, there will be judgment. But mercy, that's triumphs over judgment. And so we are called to be merciful as we have received mercy. Amen. Does that make sense? Church, you got it. It's right there in James. You can read this. But most importantly, that we would go and live this out. Boxer granola bars, six bucks. Case of water, what, two, three bucks? Nine dollars, and we're on our way to being more loving and Christ like. Okay? That's just a step. But recognize, I want you to understand that it's Jesus Christ that is the motivator for our actions. Okay? Does that make sense? That, that Jesus Christ is why the mercy that He's shown us should cause us to be merciful to others, the love that He's shown us should cause us to love others. And it's a recognition that Jesus Christ has done a great work, and it should not stop with us. So I'm going to pray for us as the band comes up, and I just want to give us an opportunity to reflect. Today, with baptism, we're not doing communion, but I just want to give you an opportunity to just ask the Lord to just search your heart. How is it that you respond to just those that might be standing with cardboard signs? Ask the Lord to search your heart. What is your response? So, God, would you even reveal to us now perhaps how we fall short? Lord, would you reveal to us how we show partiality? And, Lord, we just pray that you would root it out. Again, not that you're asking us to not be cognizant of people's situations, but, Lord, you're clearly asking us to not bring about judgment. So, Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not treat us as our sins deserve Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness that you've shown us, that even while we were still enemies, you came and you redeemed us back. And so God, praise be to you for the love, the mercy, and the grace that you've shown us. And would we be the kind of church that shows that same love, mercy, and grace to our neighbors, that we'd show no partiality to the rich nor to the poor, but we would take Jesus to all of them. May that be the case. And would you just grow the kingdom because of it, for your glory. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.